You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Shavua Tov and uh, welcome to all the listeners out there on Chai FM 101.9 and uh, we're sitting and learning Torah together. There's been a little bit of a hiatus uh, in my producing and coming into the office thanks to a family simcha. But I'm back again and glad to be in the chair with you and uh, looking forward to spend the next hour discussing the five books of Moses, in particular the book of Genesis, and in particular we are studying the story of Noah, Noach, um, that famous gentleman who uh, created this big ark and went floating on the waters for many, many days, helping the world survive against one of the worst storms, I guess, in history. It, in fact, destroyed the entire World. Now, as always, we know there is many, many levels to learning Torah. There is the pshat, there is the simplicity and the, 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 the practicality of understanding what the verses were on a practical level. But then, of course, there is always the many other levels of Torah where we go deeper into it and understand more of the nuances and this, the, 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 um, kind of like the meat behind the whole story. And of course, then we go even deeper and understand the mystical implications to the story. But finally and ultimately, the whole point of us being so dedicated to learning uh, Parsha, to learning the five books of Moses, to learning any part of Torah, is that it should affect us, it should affect our lives, and we should gain an understanding, gain a direction, gain and have to get some inspiration on how to live our lives, because one of the fundamentals that we know um, and that forms the basis of all Torah learning is that what we are learning is divine wisdom. It is something that has been given to us by God. And in the fact that it has been uh, given to us by God, it is of, it's an infinite wisdom. It is a wisdom um, that describes the very nature and the very structure of our world. And it's, if we could put it in a simple way, it is the manufacturing manual of of the world. So when we uh, find ourselves in situations which we are not too sure of which way to go, or maybe not find ourselves in a situation, but really want to know how we are to direct our lives, how we are to live our lives, the Torah is the place to go because if you bought yourself a fancy, uh, say, washing machine, um, you certainly would take care to read the instruction manual and see that you do take care of the washing machine in the way that the manufacturer um, expected and that you press the right buttons and pour the right water and give the right detergent, etc., etc., etc. Nobody in their right mind, would bring home a washing machine and then decide to wash their crockery and cutlery in it because one knows very simply without too much deduction that if you put forks and knives, plates, glasses into a washing machine, um, not only will you not have a washing machine left, but you won't have probably most of your crockery um, will be smashed to pieces. The same idea applies to the learning of Torah is that the Torah is the instruction manual, not only for the Jewish people, but for the world per se. The whole story of Noah is not a story about the Jewish people. It's a story about the world. It's about humanity. It's about the people that inhabited it at the time. 
and the way they behaved and the, the choices and decisions they took. So when we sit down and we learn absolutely anything in the realm of Judaism, we are tapping into information that has been passed on to us by God. How's that? By the very fact that um, we stood at Mount Sinai and we received that information from God directly, and since then we have passed that information on through each and every generation. We are sitting today and we are learning the same information that was given at Har Sinai and that that which God gave Moses and the Jewish people then. You know, some people may um, <clears throat> ask about the authenticity of Torah and uh you know, sometimes you think to yourself, well, if you let some piece of information, you know, pass through generations 3,000 years back, you're, you're generally going to land up with broken telephone in some, some, um, some measure because how can you determine the authenticity? It's always been something that I have thought about, but I recall once somebody coming to my house and uh, they were standing in the entrance hall coming into the lounge. And on the, in, the, in the entrance hall, we have a huge, huge bookshelf with many, many, many Jewish books um, that we have purchased and gathered through through our years. And uh, he, he asked that very question, like, how do you know what you're learning today is authentic? Now, inside the lounge, we have another bookcase that we um, – Inherited, and in there we have very, very old books, books going back to the early 1800s, old Chumashim and old Sidurim and Gomorrahs that were probably brought by those that came from Lithuania, etc., etc. They, they are pretty personalized. If you open some of them, you will see that at the back of the flaps they wrote the names of, uh, the yard sites of people and the birthdays of people, etc., etc. And uh, this this gentleman that walked into a house to ask me the question, how do you know things are authentic? And I said, you know, I'll show you a proof just of the last 150 years. But if it's true for 150 years, then it, it's true going back all the way to Mount Sinai. Um, and I went to my old bookshelf um, that, that had all the antique books, all the old, old books, and I pulled out a chumash um, and I opened to the first page, Bereshit. The first few words, the first page of Genesis, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And then I left that book on the table, and then I went to my bookshelf that is in my entrance hall that is full of modern-day um, publications of Torah, and I pulled out a chumash, any chumash. The truth is I, I've got maybe six or seven different um, publications of chumash made by, by, by different publishing houses, and all of them would have been the same for the purpose of this test, but I pulled out one chumash and I opened up that chumash um, in front of him. And we actually did an analysis and we looked at the page, we looked at the letters, we looked at the rashi, we looked at absolutely everything and it was completely um, a mirror image one of the other. So uh, that just showed that there is a, an authenticity to the transmission of Torah through the generations and into this very day as we sit on Chai FM in 2019 and we are learning the Parsha of Noach. Noach and his story has been around, has, was written down by um, Moses 
transmitted to Moses and, it, and, and taught to us by God. And so when we are learning it today, it's not only just a historical fact, an idea that we, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that we fabricated or a story that sounds good as a children's bedtime, um, story, but it is, it is truth. It is authentic. It is real, and it's here to teach us a tremendous amount. So as we go through it, I'm going to spend some time on the practicalities now of the story of Noah. In particular, we are going to do verses 13 to 16 of chapter 6 of Genesis. If anybody has got a Bible with them, a Tanakh um, of the five books of Moses, you can open up to chapter 6, verse 13. We're at the point where God commands Noah to build this ark and um, it goes into depth about how this ark should look. I'm going to read the verses and just translate for now and then we'll take a step back and go back and look at certain things. Vayomer Elohim and God said, Lenoach to Noach, Kate's called Basar, Ba Lefanai, the end of all flesh has come before me. Kimala haaretz Hamas, because the earth is filled with robbery, mipnehim, through them. Vehinani mashkitam et haaretz, and behold, I'm about to destroy them from the earth. Ase lecha teva, ate gofer, make for yourself an ark of gofer wood. Kinim tase et teva, make the ark with compartments. And you should cover it, its inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you should make it. The length of the ark should be 300 cubits. Um, it should be 50 cubits wide. And then Ushloshim Ama Komata and it should be thirty cubits high. Tsohar Tase Lateva, you should make a light for the ark, Vet Ama Tlachalena Milmala Umipeta Hateva Betsida Tasim and put the entrance of the ark in its side, make it with bottom second and uh, sorry, and we'll make it with bottom second and third decks. That is Tahtiyim Shniim Oshoshim Taaseha. So there you have it. That's the commandment to build the ark. After the break, we will start dissecting this. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Let's get back into the discussion of the building of the ark and just have a little bit of a background again of what God was telling uh, Noach before he tells him how exactly to build the ark. Vayomer Elohim, this is verse 13. Um, it says, Lenoah, uh, God says to Noach, Ketz basar ba'lefanai, the end of humanity, the end of all flesh has come before me, ki mala ha'aretz chamas mipnehem, because the earth is filled with robbery through them, vehinini mashchitam et and behold, I'm about to destroy all of that. Now, what we know is that God reveals to Noah this um, 
this idea that he is going to destroy the world 120 years prior to the flood. The flood began in the year 1656, that's um, of the Jewish calendar, and um, Noah diligently built the ark, and God had made his intentions to Noah very well in advance, 120 years it took him to build this. Question asked, like, why did God not say build the ark? Hurry it up, give it a month or two, or whatever it is that's needed to be taken. 120 years is really a long time. So our rabbis teach that God gave um, this commandment to Noah so, uh, like, uh, with a lot of time, um, simply because he wanted to demonstrate, God wanted to demonstrate his patience and wanting to give the people a uh, grace period for repentance. Uh, that was the first thing uh, that he wanted to do because God is not a vindictive, vengeful God that, you know, once you do something wrong immediately, he, you know, he comes down and uh, wreaks his wrath upon you, but rather that he, he, he loves humanity and he wants humanity to come back to the straight and narrow. And so there was this window of opportunity which God was giving, um, giving humanity. The other idea that um, we see is that this was a little bit of an indictment on uh, Noah himself because here he had 120 years for him himself to go out and change the people. This was a a calling, an opportunity to step up to the plate and try change the degree, de- 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 decree. But Noah didn't have that within him, and he really he remained unmoved. So instead of begging for mercy on behalf of the world, uh, Noah actually was worried about himself. He asked God, um, it says in Yeshiyahu in Isaiah chapter 54, you know, why is the flood called May Noah, the waters of Noah, because they attribute, they're attributed to him because he, he only was assured of his, his survival in the ark. He didn't go out and seek the people and change the people. Um, and that, that is a bad mark on, on Noah. And something that we need to ask ourselves because when we stand in society, whatever sphere of influence we have, and each and every one of us influences our sphere of influence, even if it is just our home, or it is our shul, or our school, or the, or the, or just the ordinary people that we meet outside on, you know, uh, as we go along our daily lives, we can affect change. And what we learn from here is that Noah came short on that. He got the instruction. He understood why the world was being destroyed, but he just, and he diligently and very, um, quickly and, and with a lot of alacrity went and fulfilled the command of God to create the ark. But this period, winter period of time was also there as an opportunity to change things. And he didn't do that. That is a lesson for us. When we're sitting learning the story of Noah, here's, here's one of the lessons, the many, many lessons is that we cannot sit down on our laurels and say, I can't do anything about it all the time. It is a cop out. It is a, a non, um, responsible, uh, 
attitude to have because we are all responsible one for another. And if one has the ability to change something, one has the ability to make things happen, then one certainly should. So on this note, the lesson is don't be like Noah that just does what he does and is completely oblivious to the rest of the world. We need to go out into the world and and make change. And if you're thinking, well, I can't, I'm just a simple mother at home or, you know, I'm a, a bloke that just has like a, you know, a nine to five job and X, Y, Z and ABC, that's not true. You see many, many times where people go through things on a personal level and they learn a lesson from it and then they go out and they change the world. They're, they're motivated and they, they, Expand themselves to change their sphere of influence. God gives us all the trials and tribulations in our lives in order that we should make this a better dwelling place. So that is one very, very interesting, um, idea. The second idea before we get into the actual building of the ark is one can ask, why does God say, Behold, I'm about to destroy them from the earth. The question really can be asked, well, if the people were so evil, and they were, and we are told that they they filled the place with robbery, they had absolutely no respect for one another, they had no integrity, they had no morality. More on that, you can listen to my previous podcast because we went into it in a quite in, in quite a lot of depth. The question is, if man was sinning, why does God... Destroy the earth as well Why did the earth deserve deserve destruction Um, It was the people on planet earth That were bad Why the earth as well And the Midrash Haggadol Gives an explanation through a parable Um, The Midrash Haggadol says That this is comparable To a king Who allowed his people to dwell In his country And once the king was abroad the people that remained behind proclaimed the courtyard of the king's palace as their own. And when the king heard of the rebellion, he became enraged and he exclaimed, not only have they paid no rent, they even rebelled against me. I will destroy the courtyard. Now let he who claims to be its owner stand up against me. And so when it comes to mass destruction, when it comes to um, things that are, are, are pretty negative, um, the good goes with the bad. Unfortunately, it is, it, 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 it's just a way of the world. And lastly, before we get into the physical building of the ark, we are taught that the world stands on three pillars, on peace, on truth, and on justice. And those three things ceased to exist in the time of Noah. Peace in the fact that um, there was internal quarreling all the time. People were not living peacefully with each other. On truth, they were immoral. They robbed. They lied. They were stealing. And on justice, the biggest corruption was in fact on the people who ran the justice system of the country. And so when these three pillars fall down when these three pillars um, are no longer existent then the whole world has to be destroyed if you are wanting to ask a question would like to join in on this monologue I'd love to make it a dialogue 
Please don't be shy. Our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019 or you can SMS me on 34519. We're now going to go into verse 14 where he gets the commandment now to uh, build the ark. Aselacha tevat atse gofer. Make for yourself an ark of gofer wood. Kinim taase etateva, the ark should be divided into compartments. The chafarta ota mi bayit umichutz bakofer, and then paint or cover in the inside of the, 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 the teva on the inside and the outside with a thing called pitch. Now, let's understand, uh, why it says aselecha. Make for yourself, okay? Um, firstly, God was telling Noah, don't delegate this task to another. I want it that you, it's constructed by you, okay? Um, but we have a very interesting comment by one of the commentators in the Torah, the Al-Sheikh. And he says, this is very indicative of the stance that Noah was taking. Aselacha, make for yourself. Why? Says God, says the Al-Sheikh, what God was saying, make an ark corresponding to your own behavior. You, Noah, remained aloof from your compatriots instead of mingling with them and chastising them. Now isolate yourself in an ark with the beasts and the animals. So, Aselacha, the Lacha comes to teach that this was indicative of the modus operandi of Noah. He was very introverted. He remained aloof from the problems of this world. And so the, the, the Yeshua, the redemption comes in a manner that actually reflects the fact that he himself had to get stuck in this ark. Now let it be understood he wasn't taking, um, you know, the radiance of the seas or any one of these fantastic Caribbean cruises. Um, it was to be a, a life of, of absolute difficulty, um, and, and a lot of determination, which we'll, we'll read further on for Noah. This wasn't, this was no picnic. This was no cruise. So, in a sense, it was a punishment. The way the punishment came about was a punishment to Noah himself because it reflected, it, it, it gave to him what he was giving to the world, and that was to be isolated. Um, the reason why God said an ark, because then you can go and say, well, if God is almighty, then he could have you know, destroyed the world in every which way um, he wanted uh, the reason why he gave an ark was because the cutting down of the lumber and the whole building of the ark would and should have got the people to ask, you know, what, what are you doing? And for Noah to take that opportunity to tell them as such. Very, very interestingly, there is a, a, an idea um, that the Baal Shem Tov brings. He says that... Um, the word teva, ark, means words. And he says that Noah was clothed in his righteousness, but what he did is he withdrew into his teva. He withdrew into the words of Torah study and prayer. He walked with God, but he cut himself off from the sinfulness of the society. And there is an interesting concept just on what we, we've said before is that in Yiddish, this is called a tzaddik and pelts. 
a righteous man in a warm fur coat. And uh, we're taught that, you know, when one finds oneself in a difficult situation, say one finds oneself in a cold situation where, where, where things aren't right and, and we need to bring some warmth, we can do it in one of two ways. One can build a fire, say, in the room, and everybody in the room that is with us will benefit from the warmth. The second is, is that I'm cold, you're cold, but you know what? I'll just put on a fur coat and I'll warm my way my, myself, but everyone else in the room will remain cold. And we're taught in, in Hasidus that when one is wrapped up or when we see Noah wrapped up in the coziness of his own righteousness, okay, and he's not really concerned with the bitter cold of those that are outside, that this is not the way uh, to behave. So very interestingly, the Baal Shem Tov takes the word, make for yourself a teva, because that really was what Noah did. He made for himself. He put on a fur coat for himself in order to save himself, and he didn't pay much attention to everybody else. Um now, the word teva itself in the most literal meaning means a chest or a box-like object. And it, we, we, are, we are told with, by the rabbis that the teva, this ark, was not shaped like a ship. It didn't have any oars. It wasn't designed to glide through the water. All it was designed to do was to float. Okay? Um, and that in and of itself was so that God could create a miracle and show Noah that his deliverance wasn't dependent on his navigating skills, that this was just a free-floating vessel. Um, and as such, we understand then that Noah was only saved entirely by God's word. Now, how was the ark made? It was made from gopher wood. Now, gopher wood is a light-floating type of wood. Um, we are told that... It was taken from trees in the area of the Ararat Mountain. The Ararat Mountains are in the east of Turkey, towards uh, Baghdad. Gopher, okay, um, this wood is very strong. It's water-resistant. Some rabbis say that it's called in English balsa wood, which is very light and buoyant. And uh, what God asks... Uh, asks Noah to do is to build it out of it and then to take uh, some brimstone. It's called uh, like pitch and cover the outside, waterproof the outside and waterproof the inside. Um, so to render it absolutely watertight as we understand it. And then God goes into the actual structure of it that it should be 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide and so much so, so, so much so high. And then there's a tremendous amount of discussion with the rabbis on the compartments, okay, of how, how it was built. By the way, generally when we look at a ship, a ship is generally built wide on the top and narrow on the bottom. Okay, this ark was built the other way around. The top of the ark was very much like a pitched roof so that the waters of the flood could easily run off it. And then inside there is many um, opinions as to how many 
compartments um, there were. Rabbi Yehuda says that there were two aisles, so you can kind of like divide. If you look lengthwise at the ark, you can divide the ark into three um, running lengths with two corridors Go uh, running between first and second and second and third. Um, Rabbi Nehemiah says there were actually three corridors, which means that it would have been divided into four sections. Um, other rabbis go and say, no, that there is more. But all of these compartments, and when you start looking at the cubits and everything around it, there were many, many chambers because this ark had to house Noach and his family, then they had to house the entire uh, zoological, uh, all the creatures that, that were alive at the time, as we know. And then there was a third level, which was for waste. So this was actually quite a very big production. You're listening to Rabbits and Adel Kazilski. Okay, so let's go back to the structure so that we can visualize in our minds this arc. So we've got an arc. It's pretty long, wide, high, made of three levels, bottom one for waste. There is a discussion of whether it went waste Noah animals or waste animals Noah. Um, but nevertheless, there were three levels and, um, Noah then goes, is then told by God to go down the Pishon River, we are told, and find a luminous stone. And this stone was to be set in the ark to provide light because, well, how would they be able to see? Because we are told that through the 12 months of this flood, this was an incredibly long rainstorm, a very long rainstorm. The sun didn't shine and the world was dark. So Noah told, God told Noah to hang the stone in the middle of the ark and to set up a system of reflectors so that it should illuminate all three decks. Um, and that, then he wouldn't have to carry it around um, when he was caring for the animals. When the stone, we are told, when the stone shone brightly like a lamp, Noch knew it was night. And when its light diminished, he realized that it was day because the sun prevents luminous objects, obviously, from shining brightly by day. Other commentators, though, do go and take the word Tohar and say that that was, in fact, a skylight. The skylight was actually a window so that light could enter, but at the same time, it couldn't be damaged by the heavy rains. And it was placed on the very top of the ark. And when the, um, when the Torah says, finish it to one cubit on top, the word it refers to this window. Um, and since it says that the rabbis derive that since it was high up, it could illuminate, illuminate the entire, uh, vessel. We're also told that Noah had never seen anything remotely resembling an ark. Um, he was quite confuzzled by it. He had, he had no idea of even how to begin. And so God showed him an image of the ark explaining how each part, um, how each part should come a thing. And then God said, this is how you make it. And so then, uh, Noah set about making this, this creation. Now, one of the interesting things um, and as I said in my introduction to today's show, is that just the, 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 the practicalities of this, just 
like kind of like trying to build in one's mind's eye what it looked like is quite it's quite fascinating because it probably um not it probably it was uh, an incredible incredible engineering feat to to build um probably not with all the sophistication and uh, technology that we have today and the fact that it actually managed to stay afloat and carry all the animals insects birds etc you know um through turbulent waters for 12 months is actually in fact quite mirac- miraculous like it's just quite amazing if you think about it but on another level whilst we understand the story and you know we could we could get really stuck in on on the details um i'd like to focus on well what's that got to do with me today what what can i learn from what's just been taught what relevance does it have for me today i walk i go home i get part of you know my world what does noah's building of the ark or the intricacies of explaining how this ark was made what does it have to do with me today so in the the the, the world of mysticism in the world and in the teachings of hasidus um we are told that the ark is symbolic of a safe haven. So let me, let's take a step back and just understand the context in which this is explained. We're taught that May Noach, the waters of Noach, mystically, um, and psychologically, emotionally, represents the turbulence of this world. Each and every single human being on this planet, um, suffers somewhat with something. And we find ourselves in, in times and in places where the world around us is turbulent, not only practically, not only physically, but this world can be turbulent emotionally, mentally, financially. Um, we, 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 we suffer with turbulence. And the question that can be asked is, how do we navigate our turbulent lives? How do we ensure that we can sail through the turbulence and actually see a light at the end of the tunnel? What, what, what information, what, um, what's, what strengths, what, what gives us the determination? What motivation can we have in order to deal with the turbulence in our lives? And uh, the, the Hasidic masters say as follows, we need to build a teva, we need to build an ark like Noah. What does that mean? So if we start even looking at the, the, um, the various aspects to the teva, the various aspects of the, of the ark, we can learn certain life skills, certain ways that we can navigate the turbulence of this world. The first is, is that we should build around us an ark of gopher wood. Now, we've just learned that this gopher wood was not a hard wood. It wasn't a wood made of cedar trees. It's a pliable wood. And the rabbis come to teach that in life we need to be pliant. We need to be flexible. You know, if one lives life with an attitude of rigidity, an attitude of authority, an attitude of just simple discipline, hardcore discipline. It's black and it's white. Uh, We'll find ourselves in a a lot of trouble. Rather, 
in life, one of the skills that one needs to develop is a skill of flexibility, like the gopher wood. And that actually, the gopher wood was the main ingredient to this arc. Once one develops a flexibility and a, 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 pliable, a pliability to the world, then you're able to go with the flow somewhat more and you're able to navigate the waters in a much easier way than being rigid, strict, disciplined and, and unbendable. At the same time, while one needs that quality of flexibility, we learned that the arc was um, covered in pitch in a water-resistant, a waterproof substance on the inside and on the outside. And our mystic, um, our, our, our mystic teachers come to tell us that in the flexibility that one needs to 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 get in order to navigate the turbulent waters, we need to also put on a pitch of resistance, meaning we can be flexible in much that we do, but there also comes a point of resistance, uh, an impermeability to morals, to integrity, to honesty, to that which is right in this world. That is not negotiable. To be completely flexible to, to anything and everything that goes, that's not on. To have that general attitude of flexibility, but within that flexibility, we have boundaries on the inside and on the outside of morality, of integrity, of of stability, of certain things that are not negotiable, that then will give us the ability to get ourselves through the turbulent waters of life. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And just one final note on this this Teva is that we take from the word Teva, um, we talk about words, okay? Um, what one needs to create in one's life are the words of Torah and the words of prayer. That is something that can encapsulate us, that can protect us from the outside world. And I'll take it further that it's not only about the fact that in order for us to remain flexible and at the same time rigid in what we believe and what we need, we need the study of Torah to help us with that. But even more than that, what we what we need in life is to create a sacred haven for our families and our communities. Because to allow ourselves, our families, our communities to be spilled out into the turbulent waters of this world is just completely destructive. One of the ways that we ensure success, that we ensure that we travel through life and we navigate these turbulent waters is to create the home primarily um, and our, by extension, our schools, our shuls, our communities as havens of safety that allows people to, to function inside of them and help them as a community, as a family, as a school, wh- whatever uh, situation you're finding in, to navigate the turbulent waters. Many, many studies have been done on the psychological effects of people who are brought up in stable, loving, 
um, homes where parents are present, where, where there is a connection, where there is a holding of the people and then of others who are just left out, so to speak, in the wild to navigate things um, of, in and of themselves. Um, it's, it's pretty obvious and pretty evident for, for any thinking human being. So the lesson of the Teva, the lesson that is given is that we need the ingredients that um, in our lives to create our own vessel in which to navigate it. And um, certainly if we look at the turbulence as being financial, um, uh, you know, the main Noah being the, the, the difficulties of the, the physical life of, of surviving, the way we survive physically, the way we survive in 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 getting money and doing things is to create a haven where we are excluded from the craziness of this world, where we spend Shabbat time with our family, where we spend time learning Torah, where we actually have inner time, inner space, an inner sanctum, and that will help everything else around us. Here is just a lesson, and we are going to learn many, many more as we go through the Psukim of Noah, of how Torah applies today in 2009. Thanks for all the comments that have come through. Um, I hope you have learned something today and I look forward to being back in the same place, same time next week. In the interim, have a Shavua Tov, a great week.